Habakkuk 3, beginning verse 16, says this. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. So just stop, baby, stop there. I don't normally like to stop, but just to reflect on what we saw this morning in verses 1 through 15, Habakkuk is remembering God's works of old and what God had done in delivering his people, how he saved them through judgment on their enemies. And he, when he remembers that, he says he trembles. And then he says, Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive oil fails, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is God's word. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we thank you for this this evening. We thank you for this statement of faith uh, from your faithful prophet. Lord, I ask that you would uh, use your word in our hearts. Oh, Lord, what we are not, make us. What we have not, give us, we pray. A Holy Spirit, guide in our time. I pray for your help confess my need for it. And Lord, I pray that Jesus might be exalted in this evening together. In Christ's name we do ask it. Amen. Well, as we reflected this morning, the book of Habakkuk really gives us a window into the soul of a faithful prophet who has gone through real turmoil. And it would be a mistake for us to think of the prophets of old uh, as though they were heroes in their own time among Israel. Many of them, in fact, like the apostles of the New Testament, were beaten, were thrown into prison, some were killed for being faithful to delivering God's word. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 23, 27, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. We should be reminded that Habakkuk, this, this coming to us from this very personal prophecy, yet is coming as prophecy from the Lord that Habakkuk would then deliver to God's people. And you can imagine as he would tell them how God is sending the Chaldeans to judge them, that that would not be a very popular message for him to deliver. But the prophets were mouthpieces for God to give his message to his people. They trumpeted, thus says, says the Lord. And yet, they are real gifts to the church. These prophetic books are great gifts. And just by way of reminder, Habakkuk is a minor prophet, and it is not a minor prophet because it is insignificant in truth, but it's just minor in speaking of the, the length of the book. It's, a, it's smaller than Isaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the, the major prophets, but the truth that's packed in this these three chapters from the book of Habakkuk are powerful and so needed for us today. And if we would know our God, we really need to study these prophetic books. The prophets teach us of God's holiness and God's sovereignty, his faithfulness 
to his covenant promises, even when things seem bleak. They teach us of his steadfast love, his wrath that is stored up and is poured out on the wicked, and of his mercy to save his people. Habakkuk has shown us some of these great truths throughout the book, and and this book is a book for God's people when they are totally perplexed at life. When they look at the things going on around them and they are they have questions and they do not understand what God is doing in the events that are going on around their life. Habakkuk is there. And Habakkuk gives us, I believe, a language for how to talk to God when we don't know what to do or how we're going to take another step. Maybe you're unfamiliar with Habakkuk, and so when we read in Habakkuk 1, where Habakkuk says, How long, O Lord, until you do something? Why are you silent? I wonder if you might have thought or felt in the past that that you could not speak that way to the Lord, that you would be fearful of praying that way. But the laments of Scripture invite us to bring our questions to the Lord, to bring our questions to Him in such a way that, Lord, I do not understand what you're doing, but I know you do. And I don't understand, but help me to see, help me to trust you while I wait. And Habakkuk gives us that kind of language as Christians that we need so often, so often in this life where when things around us perplex us and trouble us and we seem to not be able to find answers. In the closing part of this psalm of Habakkuk, Habakkuk, as we saw this morning in verses 1 through 3, he says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then we see in verses 3 through 15, this vision of God that Habakkuk sings about, this psalm. And the vision recalls God's faithfulness in the past to his people Israel. It points back to God delivering his people out of Egyptian bondage, how he brought them through the Red Sea, how he brought them through the Promised Land. And it reminds us of how the Lord saves his people through the judgment, through judgment on the wicked. And this vision of God is to rekindle not only the confidence of the faithful prophet, but also the faithful remnant in Israel that would hear this message. And, and, and Habakkuk shows us in word and in deed, he shows us how to trust God. How to trust God. Many times you might have somebody tell you, well, just trust God. Just trust. Well, what does that mean to trust God? Does that you just repeat that phrase over and over in your mind? How do you trust God? And I believe Habakkuk teaches us how to trust God when we don't get the answer to our prayers that we desire. How to respond when the way God answers our prayers is with a no or with a wait. When the answer to your prayer comes about not in your timing, but in God's timing, it teaches us how to trust God. How do you wait on God? How do you wait in such a way uh, that you can say like Habakkuk in verses 17 through 19, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will hope in the God of my salvation. In verses 16 through 19, I think we see a progression as the prophet goes from trembling to waiting in faith 
to rejoicing in God. First look with me at the trembling prophet. The trembling prophet, verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Uh, the, the prophet has caught a glimpse in the vision in verses 3 through 16 of what God is going to do. And, 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 and he is absolutely shaken to his core. His insides shake. His lips quiver. He feels like rottenness has entered into his bones and taken up residence. His legs are shaky underneath him. And what, does, what is he trembling over? What did he say? He said, I hear and I tremble. I hear this, this of you, God, and what you have done, and I tremble at what I know of you. It is, he is trembling in fear at what he's heard. He's trembling because of the sheer magnitude of what he's heard to be true of God in the past. He's caught a glimpse of who God is and what he is going to do, and it has shaken him in his gut. And God has revealed to Habakkuk a message that as a prophet, he is to deliver to God's people. This message gives a reminder of what God has done for his people in the past. It testifies of God's character, of who God is and what he is like and how he works it lifts the heads of the faithful remnant in Israel, pointing them to God's certain and future promises for them. And it reveals how a holy God will bring judgment on the wicked and show mercy to his people. It reveals this, God reveals this to Habakkuk. Habakkuk has caught a vision of the holiness of God. In the verse 4, the God who dwells in unapproachable light, as we considered this morning. Verse 6 the God whose ways are more ancient than the mountains. Uh, the, the God who brought his people out of Egypt by plague and pestilence, who led them through the Red Sea on dry ground, who crushed the army of Pharaoh in the Red Sea. He is the God who caused the sun and moon to stand still to give his people victory over their enemies in Joshua's day. He is the God who wields thunder and lightning like a bow and arrow. Verse 11 speaks of this God. Verse 12, he marches across the earth with indignation, trampling down the nations in his wrath. This is our God. Habakkuk has seen clearly that this God comes out to save his people, to save his anointed. Verse 13, he crushes the leader of the wicked, piercing him through with his own spears. And when Habakkuk considers the holiness, the justice, and the wrath of this God, when he ponders God's goodness, his faithfulness, and his mercy that he's proven time and time again in these ways to his covenant people, he trembles in reverent fear. Habakkuk is trembling because he fears God. You see, the fear of God is a mark that is seen throughout Scripture that is characteristic of the people of God. The people of God are a people who fear God. They live in the fear of God. The fear of God is a reverence for God that is based on a knowledge of God as he has revealed himself in his word, seeing the glories of who he is and what he has done. One begins to fear God when they come to understand how big God is and how small they are. This is what Habakkuk is demonstrating for us. 
Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, the Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How important is it to fear God? Solomon instructs his son in Proverbs 1, verse 7. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's the very beginning of what knowledge is. The beginning is to learn to fear God. Psalm 128, verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. You see, living in the fear of God is the good life. That's what the good life is. Aren't we, all, uh, aren't we all in this world we live in? We want to find, what is the good life? How can you live the good life? And everybody is clamoring and searching all the time, trying to, to find it. What is the good life? Well, the Scripture tells us, this, the prescription from Scripture, is that blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. The good life, living, really living, is found in living in the fear of God. Loving Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Living every day conscious of God, seeking to know Him more. Having a heart that fears God, that radically transforms your motives for how you live life. The fear of God comes, as we see in Habakkuk, from gaining a clearer vision of who God is. And this is what we see in our prophet. He has been given a vision of God and what he is about to do, and he trembles. So first we see the, trim, the trembling prophet. Now, secondly, the prophet waits in faith. The prophet waits in faith. Verse 16. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. The, pro, the prophet we see here resolves to wait on the Lord. He says, now I must quietly wait. This word quietly wait just means to rest. Speaking of resting, it describes one who has stopped trying to make sense of all that is perplexing them and trying to figure things out and has simply left it in the hands of a sovereign God. The Lord spoke to Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 3. If you want to flip back there, maybe it's just across the page for you. In chapter 2, verse 3, he told Habakkuk, For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hurries toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it delays, I love this verse, though it delays, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not delay long. Or it will not be late, is what he's saying. I I, I love that. Though it seems like to you it is delaying, it will not be late. It will be right on time, right on God's time. How often we think God is late. He's never late. He's right on time. He's not on our time. He's on his good and sovereign time. What's going on here? Habakkuk is submitting to God in chapter 3 when he says, okay, God, I'm waiting on you. I will quietly wait for you to do what you said you're going to do. He's submitting to God. He's obeying what God has told him to do by waiting. Habakkuk waits in faith for God to fulfill his promises. He resolves to quietly wait on God to do what he said that he will do. And though he cannot see the future, he has seen more clearly the God who holds the future. And that is enough for him. 
He says, I will wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. How is this promise assuring to the prophet? How how does this give him confidence? Well, see, Habakkuk can quietly wait for this day because though the destruction of the Chaldeans will be swift and terrifying, on that day, through that judgment upon Israel's enemies, God will vindicate his name, prove again his faithfulness, and save his people. Habakkuk knows that. He knows what that means when that day comes when he will judge the Chaldeans. That's what this means. And so he says, until that day, I must quietly wait. I must quietly wait. So what does it mean to quietly wait on the Lord? How can you quietly wait on the Lord? Well, waiting on the Lord is tied up, again, in knowing and trusting the character of God. Some of you are parents who have children old enough. I'm not there yet. Maybe I could understand this already to some extent. But some of you have children that to not get a phone call from them for a while is different from another one of your children who you don't hear from a while, right? Based on what you know of them, (laughs) based on what you know of them, you'd like to hear a little more from them, uh, maybe less trusting. What you know of their character. Well, what we see here in Habakkuk waiting on the Lord, how you wait and rest on God is tied up with what you know to be true about the character of God. You see, waiting on the Lord is not like we wait in the DMV office or the waiting room at the doctor's office. It's not like we wait in a, a long line at the drive-thru, you know, when, when fast food stops being fast food. And, you, you know, you're tempted, if you're tempted like me, to just think, well, I'll just go home and make my own burger, you know, it'll be faster than this. Uh, that's not, like, that's what it, not what it means to patiently wait on the Lord. It's not that kind of waiting. In those circumstances, if you're like I am, you'll be full of frustration. But waiting on the Lord is not this kind of frustrated, foot-tapping, deep-sighing, standing in one place. You see, waiting on God with an impatient heart like that says that we really know better than God knows for our lives. An impatient heart like this communicates that we don't really trust that God is good. Because if he were good, he'd operate on my time schedule. That's not what it means to wait on the Lord. Waiting quietly on the Lord is resting in the goodness and sovereignty of God. It recognizes that your God knows better for your life than you do. And that He knows what is best for you. That He is working all things after the counsel of His will, Ephesians 1.11 says. This is why the psalmist can say in Psalm 27, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So Habakkuk quietly waits for God. And what, he will, what, what, what will he do while he waits? Well, look thirdly, we see that the prophet rejoices in the God of his salvation. It's as if we have watched the prophet go from first trembling in fear then he resolves to quietly wait on God, and then he just explodes in exultation. He explodes in praising God and rejoicing in his God. Why does he rejoice? Does he rejoice because 
All will be smooth sailing and he'll soon have an easy life of relaxation and ease and comfort that he always wanted. No. What does it say? Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That's not often how we think of how we'll grow in trust for God, is it? We, we want to reverse that and say, when the fig tree does blossom, when there is fruit on the vines, when I can see it, that's when I'll trust God. That's not what Habakkuk exemplifies for us here. Habakkuk paints a picture here in these verses of a scorched earth that is the result of war. He knows that when the Chaldeans come, they will be ruthless. The Chaldeans have no regard to their destruction of people and lands. In fact, in chapter 1, it even describes how the Chaldeans would come and gather up people like fish and nets and drag them into captivity. They were a ruthless people. They wiped out forests of cedars in Lebanon. They destroyed livestock. And when the Chaldeans moved through a land, they did so with no regard for future people living there. So Habakkuk paints a picture where the fig tree doesn't bud, no fruit on the vines, the olive crop fails, the flocks of sheep and herds of the cattle are gone, and it is a sobering picture when we think about it that that we're considering. Habakkuk recognizes that so many of the simple pleasures of life that, that he enjoys will be gone. Think of it. No mutton sandwiches, no wool blankets, no fig cakes. No olive oil to cook with or to soothe sun-baked skin with. And how does he respond? Will he go on trembling? No. No. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice. Literally, I will shout for joy in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk commits himself to rejoice in his God no matter what comes his way. This is, this is something we see exemplified in, in Job and in the Apostle Paul. Job resigned himself to this same thing he said in Job 13, verse 15. These words, these are, these are amazing. Job says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in my God. Paul understood this truth. He, he tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, that he is sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. What a character, what a way, a way of characterizing the Christian life, isn't it? Always something to be sorrowful about, and yet because of Christ, in Christ, always rejoicing. Always. Deep sorrow, deeper joy. And Habakkuk exemplifies this, I think, uh, in, in this chapter, in these verses here, especially. This is an example for us to follow and how to trust God. And did you notice the word though at the beginning of verse 17? That's not an insignificant word. It it literally is saying, even if, even if. And brother and sister, how do you think when your heart is full of anxieties? When your heart is just, just churning with anxiety, how do you think in those moments? Perhaps you at times find yourself sinking into a pit of ifs. Uh, If you've thought like this, 
This is, this is true. I can testify this in my own, own life. Perhaps you've thought like, it, like this. If this happens, then this even more terrible thing might happen, and then a far more terrible circumstance might come about. Have you ever been trapped in that? Or if I lose this job, this person, this thing, then I'll be undone. If the bank account runs out, or what if I don't get better, or they don't get better? And what you may try from time to time is to just turn off or drown out those anxious thoughts. Perhaps you drown out those thoughts with entertainment. You just scroll a little more, just stream a little more. We, we, that's, that's the temptation of our day is just to stream ourselves into oblivion, to try to get our minds off of those things that are causing these anxieties. And I'm just here to say that for the people of God, we don't have to live that way. And Habakkuk shows us that. Maybe you try to just keep busy. Maybe you've had a close friend, a dear friend to come alongside you, and, and this may be with best of intentions, and they, they, they say something, I've heard people say something like this, well, you just, you've got to stop thinking those negative thoughts. Uh, you've got to stay positive. Don't think about the negative. And the truth is that this actually is worldly wisdom. It may help for a time, but it's worldly wisdom. And it, and it, but, but, you know, you know what happens. Those worries, though you may try to drive them out and try to stay positive, those worries return, don't they? You know, while you're walking along, all of a sudden you're flooded with anxieties or worries. You're standing there washing the dishes, you're, you're trying to stay busy, and then boom, there they are again, just rolling over in your chest. And you might think that the answer is for you to slam the door shut on those anxious thoughts. Just slam the door shut, don't think about it, but Habakkuk, I believe, tells us to open the door and to let them in. He says, come in, sit down, let me tell you something. Like Habakkuk, by God's grace, you stare right in the face of those terrible prospects, those gigantic ifs that are flooding your heart, and you say, even if the fig tree does not bud, even if there is no fruit on the vines, even if I lose this job, or if the bank account fails, or if I don't get better, or if I lose this person, even if all else fails, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. That's what we see in our prophet. And back it can invite these, it can invite these fearful ifs inside, and he can look them square in the face because he knows his God is greater. And his God is his Savior. Brothers and sisters, may the anxious ifs in your heart drive you to the God of your salvation today. That's what we see Habakkuk doing in this book. Instead of going away from the Lord with his, with his anxieties and his worries and his troubles and those things causing him to go away, he goes to the Lord. He brings them to the Lord. The psalmist declares in Psalm 73 verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And this, this brings us finally, how we see how the Lord strengthens the trembling feet of his prophet. The Lord strengthens trembling feet. Verses 18 and 19. Habakkuk says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. 
And when Habakkuk says he makes, it means to set, to establish, to fix. And the word translated here is, is makes me tread. It, and it's the same root word that we see in verse 15 that speaks of the Lord who treads on the sea. But in verse 19, it has the sense of one enabling another or making another to tread or to walk. And get this, the God who treads the mighty oceans enables the feet of his people to tread over dangerous ground throughout their pilgrimage to heaven. He strengthens the trembling feet, the shaking knees of his people. When their faith is shaken and they are having, a, having trouble putting one foot in front of the other, he establishes their footing. He gives them strength to tread the high places. Brother and sister in Christ, how do you know that you'll make it to the end of life with eyes still looking to the Lord Jesus? And one of the sweet joys of seeing our brother and sister this week and spending time with them and seeing a brother and sister, uh, Anton and, and Judith, coming in, I haven't seen them in years, as you, as you get a little bit older and you, you, you look and see friends still following Christ, still trusting in Christ, oh, how much more thankful I am for God's persevering grace in the lives of his people. How do you know that you're going to get to the end of your life still looking to the Lord, still trusting in Christ? How do you know you won't turn away from him and go back to living like the world is all there really is? Just throwing up your hands in the air. How do you know you'll persevere to the end? Brother and sister, your perseverance in Christ is purchased with the blood of the Lamb. And he has promised that all who the Father gives to him, all who come to him by faith, he won't lose any of them. He is a good shepherd who watches over his flock day and night. And when we begin to wander away from him as we're prone to do, he draws us back with cords of love. Some of you saints that have gray hair in here this morning that have followed the Lord for maybe decades, you've, you've witnessed this, you've seen this, you've seen how the Lord has drawn you back from time to time, and how he's given you strength to carry on. And you can testify of this in maybe even more vivid way. He is a good shepherd, and he draws us back. He, he finishes what he started. Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6, he, be, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for that work, that, that, that word there in Philippians 1, 6, this promise that God who's begun a good work in you the moment he, you were born again, that he's going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the Lord strengthens the feet of his people. He enables them to walk over the precarious mountain cliffs of this world. And he will strengthen you. So, do, so what should you do? Based on these verses. So fear God. Quietly wait on him. And though the fig tree doesn't blossom, there's no fruit on the vines, and the olive crop fails, rejoice in the Lord your God, the, your, the God who is your salvation. Rejoice in him. Find in him your strength. And he will strengthen your, your trembling feet to keep going in faith all the way to the end. Amen. Would you pray with me? This evening, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are, you are the God of our salvation. All that we are and all that we have is because of you. And Lord, help us not to be a fickle people, as we so often are. Lord, we just confess we're so prone to wonder 
from the God who has shown his love for us in sending his son to live for us, to die in our place, to take our sin, to be buried and rise again that we might have eternal life, who's ascended to the right hand of God the Father, ever reigning and ruling. But we are, we are so tempted to just look around us and doubt and question and to fear and anxieties can take over at times. Oh, but Lord, help us to, as your prophet, help us to take those, let those anxieties just simply to drive us to your side, to see you more clearly, to look on you and know you and to know your glory in the midst of our suffering. Pray for this. We ask for this. I pray that you would use your word to strengthen your people this evening. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Let's stand as we close our service singing Be Unto Your Name. This will not be in your hymnal, so we'll have to use our screen.